Welcome to Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions. I'm Laura Nyrider. And I'm Steve Drizzen. Today, we'll tell you the story of Hugh Burton. In 1989, when Hugh was 16 years old, he was charged with the murder of his own mother at his family's home in the Bronx. Forget blind justice. This is a classic case of tunnel vision. Because even as Hugh was bulldozed into a false confession, the real killer was living in the apartment just one floor below. Beyond Zero is Toyota's vision of a carbon-neutral future and more. Toyota gives you the power to reduce carbon emissions and help move toward its vision with a wide selection of electrified vehicles. Whether you're into hybrid EVs for that traditional Toyota feel with better MPG, battery EVs for a smooth and silent ride, or plug-in hybrid EVs that switch between battery and fuel, Toyota has you covered. And for those who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. Giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions and move closer to Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified vehicles slash beyond dash zero dash vision. Toyota, let's go places. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Smart journalism, fascinating topics, words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. When I was asked to look into Hugh Burton's case by the Innocence Project, Laura and I were just beginning the process of setting up the Center on Wrongful Convictions of Youth, which was a project focused on false confessions taken from young people. Children and teenagers are between two and three times more likely than adults to falsely confess. And we were seeing a particularly disturbing pattern— Multiple cases of young people falsely confessing to the murders of their own family members. When Hugh's story came to us, it fit that pattern to a T. What is it that could make someone confess to the most horrific crime imaginable, the murder of a parent or a loved one? Hugh's story begins in the Wakefield neighborhood of the Bronx, a working-class section of New York City that's home to a thriving Jamaican-American community. In 1989, when our story starts, Hugh was 16 years old and in 10th grade. 
He was the only child of two Jamaican immigrants, Kaziah and Raphael Burton. Kaziah was a nurse, and Raphael was a successful building contractor. So successful that the family was able to buy real estate. A red brick apartment building, three stories tall, on Eastchester Road. The Burtons moved into the second floor and rented out the rest of the building. He was a good kid, and his parents were proud of him. At 16, he was smart, soft-spoken, good-looking. He did love the emerging rap scene, and he'd cause his old-school parents no end of worry by hitting the dance clubs till closing time. But the family was close, loving, and prosperous. An American success story. It's January 3rd, 1989. Raphael Burton was out of the country. He'd gone back to Jamaica to check on relatives who'd been hit by Hurricane Gilbert a few months earlier. It's a Tuesday, and Hugh gets home from school at 2.30. No sign of his mom, but he does notice that the TV's on, his mom's car is gone, and her pocketbook had been dumped out on the living room floor. But Hugh doesn't think too much about it. He had plans to hook up with a girl after school. And off he went to her place. At 5.30, Hugh comes back home and makes a horrible discovery. His mom, Keziah, is lying on the bed in the master bedroom. A telephone cord is wrapped around her wrist, and her underwear has been pulled down. A serrated steak knife is lying next to her on the bed, and there's a gaping knife wound in her neck. Hugh calls 911 in a panic and tells them, I think my mother's been murdered. The police arrive and pronounce Keziah Burton dead. They soon conclude, though, that she hasn't actually been raped. Instead, her underwear has been pulled down to make it look like a rape. The real motive seems to be robbery. The attacker made off with her brand-new 1988 Honda Accord. When the police came to the crime scene, they took notice of a couple of things. One of the things was that Hugh was sitting outside, and to them he appeared too calm, too cool, too collected. They hadn't heard his frantic 911 call. And his lack of emotion or apparent lack of emotion at the crime scene was a red flag to them. I mean, this is a kid who had just come across his mother's stabbed body, and he is panicking on that 911 call. But by the time the police arrived, shock had set in, which they read as remorselessness. So as the police are at the scene, they decide to question Hugh about his mom's murder. And that evening, Hugh agreed to go down with police to the 47th precinct for questioning, even while his dad, who was still in Jamaica, was catching the first flight back to New York. He had nothing to worry about. This is what he wanted to do. He wanted to find out who had killed his mother. And so he went down there to do anything he could do to help the police find and catch her killer. The police question Hugh, and he gives them every detail of his activities, from putting in a full day at school, to meeting up with a girl in the afternoon, right up until he discovered his mother's body in the evening. After they finish questioning, he spends the night at his godmother's house, because his dad hasn't gotten back to New York yet. The next day, Hugh returns to the precinct, and the same three detectives question him again for hours. Now, we don't have a videotape of the whole interrogation. Police only turned on the cameras at the end to capture Hugh's final confession. But Hugh says he remembers what happened in that room. Hugh says he confessed because of a threat. Remember the girl whose house he'd gone to that afternoon? 
Well, she was 14. And under New York law, Hugh was potentially liable for statutory rape, even though they were consenting classmates. The police told him he'd go down for murder plus statutory rape and be sent to Rikers Island unless he confessed. Now, Hugh didn't know exactly what statutory rape was, but he knew the word rape was really bad. And he knew well enough what Rikers Island was, a notorious New York jail with a reputation for horrific violence. On the other hand, the police told him that if he confessed, he would go to family court, where his dad could pick him up in a few days. Which is a blatant lie. It's total bullshit. The police also tell Hugh that they talked to his teacher, and her records didn't confirm that he was at school during first period. How was that possible? He knew he had been there all day. But it was starting to be clear. The detectives didn't believe him. They were developing their own theory of Kaziah's murder, with Hugh as the killer. And of course the police said to Hugh, it was an accident, and everybody will see that it was an accident. So your options are murder and statutory rape and Rikers Island, or admitting to an accident, being sent to family court, and being picked up by your father within a few hours of your first court appearance. And over time, Hugh realized the only way for him to get out of that room was to cop to these charges. So by the early morning of January 5th, Hugh Burton found himself signing a confession to the murder of his own mother. And let me tell you, this confession is weird. It's written in stilted, formal language. And the story it tells is all about crack cocaine. I, Hugh Burton, know an individual by the name of Bugs, who I owed $200 to for some crack I received from him to sell. Instead of selling the crack, I kept it for my own personal use. The confession goes on to describe Hugh getting high on crack the night before his mom died. He comes home, gets into a, quote, spat with his mother, and wakes up the next morning still high. This time, I'm stimulated on drugs. Who uses the word stimulated? You know, you say I was high. I walked to the kitchen, the confession continued. I got a kitchen steak knife, and I came back into the room. She then asked, are you going to kill me? And I said, and if I was, she went to smack me, and I moved. That's when I accidentally stabbed my mother in her neck. It wasn't planned purposely, you know. Uh, I just wanted to scare a little bit, see what she was going to do. According to the confession, Hugh washes off the knife, leaves it on the bed, and gives his mom's car to Bugs. This was no accident. Kaziah Burton had been stabbed twice in the neck, very deep, violent stab wounds. And there were other parts of this confession that made no sense whatsoever. I got a call from a person who I owed money to. And who is that? Person Bugs. Do you know his real name? No, I don't. Hugh couldn't tell the police anything about Bugs, who he was, where he lived, or even what he did with the car. Any telephone number? That would have been real helpful. I don't know. Back in the day, the Jamaican immigrant community didn't use the banks a lot, and used parents were no different. They kept little pockets of cash in secret places throughout their home, places that Hugh, as a kid, knew about. How much did you owe them? It was 200 Who gives a $10,000 car to somebody to settle a $200 debt? 
If you needed $200, he could have found that money in a jiffy. So none of this is making any sense. Hugh also was not known to use crack, much less run up debts with dealers or behave in the sort of depraved way that would lead a crack addict to attack his own mom. This just wasn't Hugh Burton. But it's the story of the confession. I got my things for school and I left. So where did this whole crack theme come from? It came from the late 1980s culture of fear about the New York City drug epidemic. Between 1986 and 1993, that time frame, New York was averaging 2,000 murders a year. And police were attributing a significant percentage of them to crack cocaine. And think about it from the police perspective. Here you have a kid who's got no criminal background. By all accounts, he has a deep and abiding love for both of his parents. He's a respectful kid when it comes to his parents. And all of a sudden, he snaps and stabs his mother to death over $200 that she would have gladly given him. The crack theme came from the police, not from Hugh. And there it is in the very first lines of this confession, that word. Once this story is about a kid using crack or selling crack, nothing else matters. All bets are off. Sure enough, Hugh is arrested. And the media headlines go for maximum shock value. Crack-crazed teen stabs mom to death. Hugh is charged with second-degree murder. And he's sent not to family court, but to the place he feared most, Rikers Island. Those promises the cops made to him were nothing but lies. From the minute that Hugh was charged with his offense, his father knew that Hugh was innocent. He just knew it. He knew his son. His whole family stood by him, but it was too late. He'd confessed. From the depths of his jail cell, Hugh writes a eulogy for his mom and mails it to a relative so it can be read out loud at her funeral. And then he grieves alone. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. 
Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrified horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Let's stop for one second, Laura. Mm -hmm. You know, when the police were questioning Hugh, they did what all police officers do. Do you know anybody, Hugh, who might have wanted to hurt your mother? Can you give us any leads as to who might have done this? And Hugh came up blank. He said, I don't know anybody who would want to hurt my mother. But I think what you need to be focused on is what happened to my mother's car? The person who had taken my mother's car, that's the person who probably killed her. Fast forward to January 11th, six days after Hugh confessed and was arrested. On the evening of January 11th, police in Mount Vernon, New York, pull over a car for running a stop sign. It turns out that car was Keziah Burton's missing 1988 gray Honda Accord. So who was the driver? Emmanuel Green was the first floor tenant in the Burton's apartment building. He'd just moved in there with his girlfriend, Stacy. Emmanuel was 22 years old, 5 foot 11, 230 pounds. You should see the body on this guy. He was cut totally ripped. This guy could bench you, Steve. And he wasn't exactly a choir boy. He'd done time for a knife-point rape and attempted robbery. In fact, Emmanuel Green was on parole at the time that Keziah was murdered. And only a month before, he'd been arrested for assaulting his previous landlord. Hugh Burton only knew Emmanuel Green in passing. 
their lives were in completely different places. Emmanuel Green was a bouncer at a club who worked the late shift and slept during the day, and Hugh was in school during the day and at home most nights. And on the weekends, if he went out with his friends clubbing, he went to New Jersey, not where Emmanuel Green was. These were complete strangers. After police catch Emmanuel in Keziah Burton's car, they bring him in for questioning, and he's interrogated by the same officers who questioned Hugh Burton. After only a few hours, Emmanuel goes on videotape to make a statement of his own. He says that on the morning of the murder, January 3rd, Hugh had knocked on his door downstairs in the first floor apartment, and Hugh had told Emmanuel that he planned to steal his mom's 1988 Honda Accord, and he asked Emmanuel if he knew how to get rid of a stolen car. I'll take care of my mother, Hugh supposedly said, and the two of them agreed to split the cash. Emmanuel claimed that Hugh then went back upstairs by himself, and almost immediately, Emmanuel said, I heard arguing, screaming, and a thumping noise. He said he overheard Hugh yelling, You won't give me the money? Fuck you, bitch. I'll kill you and take it. A few minutes later, Hugh reappeared outside Green's apartment, supposedly distraught, and he confesses to Emmanuel, I killed my mother. I stabbed her. I stabbed her. Emmanuel continues, My criminal mind took over, and I said, let's make it look like a robbery. He claimed to have gone back upstairs with Hugh to the Burton family apartment. They stole $200 from Kaziah's pocketbook, and Emmanuel told Hugh to get rid of the knife somewhere outside. Then Emmanuel took off with Kaziah's car. So, we have two statements— One of them from a slick-talking bouncer with a history of rape and robbery and attacks on his landlords, the guy who was actually found with Keziah Burton's car. And the other one from a 16-year-old with no criminal history. The train had already left the station for Hugh Burton. After his arrest, the detectives who were involved in the interrogation leaked information about the case to the press, and they were quoted widely in newspaper articles that graced the front page of the New York Times and the Post and the Daily News. And so when Emmanuel Green shows up with Keziah Burton's car, these police officers needed to figure out a way to reconcile these two very different stories. Remember, Hugh's confession never mentions Emmanuel Green, his downstairs neighbor, at all. And Green's confession never mentions crack cocaine or any drug debt. The confession of Emmanuel Green was cooked up in the interrogation room in Mount Vernon by the same detectives who took the confession of Hugh Burton. So the case against Hugh Burton plowed forward, and before too long, Hugh found himself convicted of the murder of his own mother and sentenced to life in prison. For his part, Emmanuel Green was never charged with Keziah's murder. He was only ever charged with crimes relating to the theft of her automobile. But he was never convicted. Before his trial, Emmanuel Green was stabbed to death as part of a dispute arising out of a lover's triangle. So when the case came across my desk, it was sometime in 2008, early 2009. I was sent a letter from Hugh Burton and some materials related to his case by a woman at the Innocence Project. At the Center on Wrongful Convictions, we get referred false confession cases a lot. But when Steve looked at Hugh's case, he realized it was different than a lot of the other cases we've told you about on this podcast. 
DNA testing wasn't an option here. There was no evidence left at the crime scene that if tested could lead to a different outcome. It was really all about the confession and all about trying to prove the guilt of the true perpetrator, Emmanuel Green. As soon as we took the case in 2009, Hugh, thank goodness, was released on parole after almost two decades behind bars. And this was a wonderful thing. Having your client out is a blessing. Even before they are exonerated, we want to get them out because when they're out, they can help us with our investigation. It's easier to represent someone who's free. You can call them whenever you need to, and you can meet with them face-to-face without glass or guards or prison walls between the two of you. For his part, Hugh was able to begin a new life on the outside. He's always been a runner, but instead of doing laps around the prison yard, he started running long distances in the free air. And as Hugh set his sights on the New York City Marathon, his legal team embarked on its own marathon investigation. Because even though Hugh was free, he was still a convicted murderer who needed his name cleared. Steve invited Laura Cohen, an attorney and professor at Rutgers University, to join the team. And we got to work. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. Oh, my friends love it. I love that it's kids-safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. 
Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Pretty soon, we discovered powerful evidence of Hugh's innocence. Hugh had described killing his mom with a serrated steak knife found on the bed. That was the theory embraced by police at the time of the interrogation. But after Hugh's interrogation, the autopsy showed that Keziah Burton had actually been stabbed with a smooth-edged blade. The steak knife wasn't the murder weapon. The fact that Hugh's confession incorporated an error that police believed was true at the time, that's a red flag. The police were feeding Hugh their own theory of the crime. Emmanuel Green, on the other hand, had known that the steak knife wasn't the murder weapon. He described using a different blade, one that he told Hugh to dispose of outside. This was information only the real perpetrator would know. Months of investigation turned into years, and we were gathering evidence, slowly but surely. And then, finally, we got a couple of lucky breaks. You see, in 2016, a new DA got elected in the Bronx, and we saw a new opportunity to have a conversation about Hugh's case. So we got in touch with our friends at the Innocence Project in New York, Susan Friedman and Barry Sheck. Susan's a rock star attorney at the Innocence Project, and Barry co-founded the project with Peter Newfeld. He's one of the real OGs in the exoneration movement. And before long, Barry was able to put us in touch with a special new division of the Bronx DA's office, the Conviction Integrity Unit. Here's Barry now. One of the things that the Innocence Project and uh, myself in particular had been involved in a lot is the creation of what are known as Conviction Integrity Units. The whole point of a conviction integrity process is to have a non-adversarial search for the truth, where you set up an investigative plan that uh, both sides agree to go forward with it, and you develop a process where you share information and go back and forth. You just forget about the legal technicalities, and you just look at the evidence and investigate it together and see where it leads. And for the next three years, we worked in collaboration with the Conviction Review Unit. It was an extremely cooperative experience. We shared documents. We interviewed witnesses together. We brought in experts to educate them about all of the changes that had taken place with regard to false confessions and new understandings from the science. As we started working with the Bronx Conviction Integrity Unit, that's when we really got lucky. We had all huddled at the offices of the Bronx Defender, who were giving us a place to stay. And Steve Googled one last time for something about the officers involved in this case. Detectives who obtain false confessions are 
often serial offenders. I typed in the names of these detectives in a search for other cases, and I hit gold. All of a sudden, he hit, for whatever reason we don't know, an opinion that appeared in the New York Law Journal by Judge Steve Barrett that was quite incredible. What Steve found was shocking. A court decision describing how the same cops who interrogated Hugh had coerced a false confession out of another man in a completely different case. And by sheer chance, the evening before we're going in to talk to the Conviction Integrity Unit, we found it. Finding that these detectives had been involved in another false confession just three months earlier than Hugh Burton's case began to raise questions about who these detectives were and whether we could trust their accounts of what happened in that interrogation room. In the end, this may not have all happened if it weren't for Dennis Koss's courage. Dennis Koss is the man who'd falsely confessed at the hands of the same interrogators just three months before they'd questioned Hugh. So Steve and Barry arranged a meeting with Dennis. And the story he told them was heartbreaking. We brought him in to our office at the Innocence Project late at night, and we began asking Dennis to recount for us what happened when he gave this confession. And talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. I am telling you that this poor man went into almost a fugue state. He began shaking and sweating when he described what happened and how they scared the living hell out of him and they coerced him and they wouldn't let his family come up. And it was unbelievable. I mean, you could just see him reliving it. And he was just terrified of these cops and what they did to him. Same cops that framed you, Burton. The investigation uncovered one other piece of evidence, too. Remember that teacher who said that Hugh wasn't in school the morning his mom was killed? Well, the day before Emmanuel Green was caught with Keziah Burton's car, that teacher told the police that she'd made a mistake. Hugh actually had been in school that morning. But it seems police never shared that information with Hugh's defense team. So it's like a soup, right? You bring in new evidence, and at a certain point in time, you reach a critical mass where it becomes clear that the person who was convicted of this crime was innocent. And in our case, it became clear that Emmanuel Green was guilty. The case against Hugh Burton should have fallen apart when the teacher retracted her mistake and the real killer was caught with the car. But instead, police doubled down on their case against Hugh. It took 30 more years until that case finally disintegrated. In the end, the tipping point for the Bronx Conviction Integrity Unit was when Hugh came in for an interview, and the prosecutors actually met him. And when they saw Hugh, separated from that 16-year-old on the videotape, outside the heat of a trial in the tagline of a crack-crazed team, when they saw who he was and how much he loved and respected and revered his parents— They knew that he couldn't have committed this crime. When Hugh was in prison, he had developed a nickname. They called him Wise. He had a sort of peacefulness that helped him survive in prison, but also helped him to keep other inmates on track. And that wisdom, that decency, 
that aura of his innocence is what really tipped the scales in his case. When you meet Hugh, you just know, this is a good man. And these prosecutors saw that. They saw the human being, not the accusation. I'm sure you've realized this already, that Hugh is quite an extraordinary individual. At one of the Innocence Project conferences, he got up and he told a story that was astonishing about his father. So, you know, his father, he always stood by you and he would always come up and visit him. So the week leading up to the visit, I'm excited. I couldn't wait to tell him everything that I've been doing, how I've been developing with the case. I wanted to let him know how good I had gotten with playing my piano. And I wanted to hear everything that was going on with him. I finally spot him in the visit room and I make a beeline towards him. We embrace, I hold him for a long time and we finally sit down. He came with my cousin, she brought him up. As I'm asking him questions, I'm getting these kind of close-ended answers. So everything was yes, no. And I realized, I said, something is wrong. And then he began to refer to me as my brother. And I think that was the first time that I realized that because of the Alzheimer's, my dad didn't know who I was. The guy who was in every courtroom, every visit room, my guy, he didn't know who I was. But still, I was just glad he was there. So as the visit went on, he wanted to smoke. He wanted a cigarette. But I know he knew that if he went out to smoke, that the visit was terminated. You can't come in and out. It's not an in and out policy. But he kept asking for the cigarette. And I didn't know why it was bothering me that he was asking for it. But then I realized it, it reminded me of a book that I had read, um, Man's Search for Meaning, a book by Viktor Frankl in which he details uh, being in concentration camps. And in the concentration camps, cigarettes were a medium of exchange. So he would notice that when people would smoke their cigarettes is when they had lost the desire to live. And it's right in that moment that I realized that he couldn't go on anymore. I knew that when he left that visit room that day, that was gonna be the last day that I saw him. And it was. Thankfully, However, um, I was exonerated this year, January 24th. Thank you. And although he didn't live to see all of this come to fruition, um, I am glad that he's watching and making sure that the job was done and done good. Thank you. In January 2019, a court finally threw out Hugh Burton's conviction. I vacate the conviction for people versus Hugh Burton. It is a tragedy that Mr. Burton spent some 20 years in jail for a crime that he did not commit. For this, I offer my apologies to Mr. Burton on behalf of a system that failed him. The courtroom seats were filled with other New Yorkers who'd been failed by the system, too, who'd also been wrongly convicted as teenagers in false confession cases. They were there in solidarity. We brought in Yusef Salam, the Central Park Five, 1989, exonerated five. We had in the front row Jeff Deskovic in Westchester, gave a false confession to murdering a high school classmate. Marty Tankliff, again, 1989, coerced into confessing to killing both of his parents. And then, of course, right there with them was Dennis Koss. That tells you all you need to know. It sure does. After a 30-year ordeal, Hugh joined their ranks as an exoneree, and he stood up in court and dedicated his exoneration to the memory 
of his mother. And that's the story of Hugh Burton. Next week, we'll tell you about Chris Tapp, an Idaho man whose confession was proven false thanks to the perseverance of an unlikely champion, the victim's mother. Till then, thanks for listening to Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions. Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. Special thanks to our executive producer, Jason Flom, and the team at Signal Company Number 1, executive producer Kevin Wardus, senior producer Ann Pope, and additional production and editing by Connor Hall. Special thanks to Jaji Hammer for additional script editing and for wrangling and writing like a madwoman. Our music was composed by Jay Ralph. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Laura Nyrider. And you can follow me on Twitter at S. Drizzen. For more information on the show, visit wrongfulconvictionpodcast.com. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram at wrongfulconviction, on Facebook at wrongfulconvictionpodcast, and on Twitter at wrongconviction. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.